Open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 1. We'll take one more look at this chapter, and this time, particularly, at the example set by the Hebrew midwives. Verse 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shifra, and the name of the other, Pua. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Grass withers, flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to see this courageous example and to love it and to imitate it. We thank you that your son is a survivor of genocide, that he is a card-carrying member In fact, the most prominent member of the most hated race in history. Lord, we ask that you would help us then to have the moral armament, the character of fearing you that will keep us from participating with the genocidaires. Help us to be able to tell Pharaoh no because we care about your opinion more than we care about surviving than about more than we care about keeping this physical life teach us to live in the fear of god we ask in jesus name amen the sermon is titled how to live during genocide not how to survive but how to live how to live even if pharaoh kills you We believe in life after death, life beyond death. In fact, that the goal of life is fixed beyond death. The concept of survival beyond death is nonsense. The whole idea of survival is that physical death is the worst of evils, and therefore anything I can do to stave it off is morally acceptable. If survival and avoiding death is your greatest good, You'll gladly strangle the newborn babies to stay on Pharaoh's good side. If you believe that survival is the greatest good, you'll happily become a capo in Auschwitz. Take the gold fillings out of the teeth of your fellow inmates' corpses. If you believe that survival is the greatest good, you'll go along with any policy or any order, no matter how vile, provided that it comes from someone with a gun who appears willing 
to take away your physical life if you say no. To fear God does not guarantee that you will survive. Jesus of Nazareth is exhibit A in this regard. Not about living, not about surviving during genocide. Shipra and Pua, or Bonnie and Sparkle, as we can call them, and the meaning of their names. Bonnie and Sparkle were not interested in doing what would keep them on Pharaoh's good side. They had higher priorities, and the text mentions them twice, that they feared God. And that's why God rewarded them. They lived, apparently, during this genocide. Well, they certainly lived. They may have even survived. Commitment to physical survival makes you evil. But a commitment to fearing God makes you live. Righteousness delivers from death. So you can, I see five lessons for us in this text. The first is the obvious one, the biggie. Fear God and disobey Pharaoh. King of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives and he said, if it's a son, kill him. If it's a daughter, she lives. You will not wonder about what Pharaoh wants. In a time of genocide or in a time of lesser moral evil when the authorities insist on you compromising your conscience, doing something contrary to the law of God, you won't have any doubts at that point. Hmm, what do the powers that be want me to do? I think they might like it if I did something evil. No, you will, it will be told to you very clearly. You won't have to wonder... Hmm, is this a time when I need to trigger my fear of God and say, no. There will be no wondering at that point. You will know. It will be obvious what the tyrant's demands are. We can say it this way. You will not misgender your students. You will not suggest that Big Brother is ungood. You will not express counter-revolutionary sentiments. Teach your children the catechism as though it were true support missionary work, or show hostility toward the LGBTQ agenda. Various times, places, all of these have been demanded of the people of God. Pharaoh, whatever else you want to hold against him, he speaks clearly, and he, he doesn't leave you with any guesses about what he's trying to get at. I do not fear God, nor will I let Israel go. Well, Ramesses, tell us how you really feel. We don't have to ask that question. Ramesses is very upfront about what he wants. Now, we also have to notice, though, that rarely will this, will the tyrant or the one with the gun start by telling you to murder. Already, of course, in this in this context, he didn't start with murder. He started with, let's just make their work week a little longer. Let's just give them slightly heavier jobs. 
Let's put them on the dangerous sites. Nothing wrong with that. That means we save some Egyptian lives. Let the slaves do it. But it will start somewhere with a command to do something wrong and your survival will be put on the line. And that means that we have to fear God now. The voice inside will say, I can't do what's right. I could get hurt. I might get killed. And if I stood up and resisted, it wouldn't do any good anyway. Those arguments are all pragmatic, consequentialist. The good or evil of the action is all based on what would happen. We all like to think in those terms. Our society thinks in those terms. Those terms are very comforting and natural to us. No point in saying anything about that. They won't care. They'll just get mad at me. The relationship will suffer a dent that it won't recover from. Fearing God will not always tell you when and how much to say, but fearing God does tell us this. If you won't get rid of your gluttony, your pornography, your self-righteousness, your outrage over non-Christians being non-Christians, your habit of looking down on your mother-in-law or any other sin, then you're not walking in the fear of God. And genocide heirs will find you quite amenable to their cause. Do this. We know you already do that. Well, yeah, I do already do that. Okay, so do this. That's just another step. That's the devil's leverage over us is some sin in our character. Uh, The favorite sin of a tyrant like Pharaoh to exploit is the sin of fear. Failing to fear God and instead fearing loss of physical life. Loss of my stuff. Loss of my status. Loss of my friends. My community will turn against me if I stand up to Pharaoh But the midwives weren't worried about that because they feared God. And if you and I don't fear God, we will be worried about losing those things. We will care more about name it than we do about what God wants. Now that said, if you are going to fear God, you have to be ready to face the consequences. Which quickly happened, verse 18. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said, Why have you done this thing? And saved the male children alive. Fearing God is not a cost-free exercise. If you say, I must do what's right because I fear God, that's going to get noticed. And it's not always going to get noticed favorably. Bonnie and Sparkle were called on the carpet in front of Pharaoh, and he was obviously not very pleased. Why have you done this? Why didn't you obey me, midwives? Again, do we value God's good opinion enough to go through that? It may not come to the limit like it did with Pharaoh, where there's some Egyptian dude with a sword standing there 
ready to feed you to the crocodiles if you say the wrong thing to Pharaoh. But it may come to that. And certainly, every day, in ways large and small, mostly small, we have an opportunity to speak the truth, or to affirm a lie, or to say nothing. We have an opportunity to lust, or to not lust, and to bless, to say something kind, and it builds up. We have the opportunity to honor father, mother, mother-in-law, etc. Or the opportunity to just try to stay, stay out of it. Or the opportunity to, to dishonor. And let ourselves think the mean thought. Or say the nasty word that feels good for a second. There will be consequences to doing the right thing, and often those will be good consequences, but they won't always be good consequences. Do we value God's good opinion more than we value being respected by those who can make our life hard? Fearing God may very well get you in trouble. Being in trouble is not a sign that you should stop fearing God. On the other hand, of course, being in trouble is not a sign that you feared God automatically. You can get in trouble for being a royal idiot. But Bonnie and Sparkle were in trouble because they feared God. And they were ready to face those consequences. Now notice that what they didn't have was the martyr complex. It's so hard to be a midwife, Pharaoh. You have no idea. This attitude of, ah, oh, I can't believe I'm getting called on the carpet for fearing God. I thought that if I feared God, everything would get better immediately. That's what we call the martyr complex. Standing in awe of God and His energy and His holiness it's totally different than being impressed with yourself. Which is what the martyr complex at the end of the day is all about. Yep, I feared God, and now Pharaoh is out to get me because I'm just too good for him. I'm a standing reproach to my country. And when I sit down, I'm a sitting reproach to my country. And when I lie down, I'm a lying reproach to my country. Dostoevsky actually has a character claim that for himself in one of his novels. The guy has a standing reproach to his country. That attitude is not the attitude of fearing God. That's not the attitude that will save babies. That's the attitude that will make you much more likely to say yes to the genocide heirs. Or to say yes to whoever it is in your life a friend, a parent, a sibling, a bad girlfriend or boyfriend who wants you and encourages you to take the next evil step. The fear of God is not the fear of losing reputation. The fear of God is not the martyr complex and this feeling that I'm a wonderful person and that's why the world is out to get me. They just can't handle how wonderful I am. 
It sounds stupid, but we enjoy thinking that. So be ready to face the consequences of fearing God. That means be ready in attitude, an attitude that's not surprised to see something really bad headed my way because I feared God. But also it means preparation. The Hebrew midwives knew this question were coming and they answered it shrewdly. Now, at one time or another, if you've been around Christian circles for a while, you've probably heard the discussion of whether the Hebrew midwives lied. Maybe even been party to that discussion. And that discussion, quite frankly, is stupid. I've been party to it. I've sat in class and listened to my fellow students argue with the professor about it. Um, both directions, in various classes, I, the text doesn't tell us whether the midwives were lying. It just doesn't. As we said last week, uh, a statistical reconstruction gives us reason to believe that there may have been no more than 200 Israelite families at this time. Now let's say, right, it's more than reasonable to say there are 200 families, each midwife, in the two or three weeks since Pharaoh's command, may have only been called on to attend two or three births. And it's not particularly hard to be late to somewhere. Most of us have done it at one time or another. And then, just with a little bit of forethought, there's, it's, there's no record of how long it was between Pharaoh's command and when the midwives he realized that they were disobeying. may not have been very long. We could be talking quite literally about as few as two births. And the midwives are not saying the Hebrew women are always lively and always give birth before the midwife can get there. They're saying on these two occasions that both happen to be recent, we couldn't get there. You ever been late, Pharaoh? But their answer, though we don't have enough information to know whether it was a lie, we know that it was shrewd. That it subtly, but pretty convincingly, lifted the blame off their shoulders and deposited it on something even Pharaoh can't change. They didn't flat out say, Pharaoh, you're a turd, and we will not do what you want. They answered shrewdly. Now what, is, what does that mean? Well, hey, shrewdness is what Jesus described as being wise as a serpent, or cunning like a snake, we could say, while simultaneously innocent as a dove. We know that lying is wrong. Moses goes on to say that later in this book. Thou shalt not bear false witness. But deceit is a broader category of which lying is one member. Lying is wrong. Deceit is not necessarily wrong. Deceptive behavior, deceptive actions, gestures, motions. Right? If you truly believe that deceit is wrong, then 
And you'd send your kid out on the basketball court, and he would have the ball, and he would pretend that he was shooting this direction, and then he would suddenly shoot the other way. And you would haul him off and give him a swat. Kid, I am tired of you lying to your opponents out there. That's deceptive behavior. But deceit is not wrong, necessarily. Deceit means planting evidence that allows people to form their own conclusions. And you can have a pretty shrewd guess that those conclusions are going to be incorrect, incomplete, misleading, etc. Some of us buy timers and plug them into the wall so that every night, dark, the lamp pops on in the living room. And that way, any crook who happens to be casing the place will say, oh, the light's on their home. Guess I won't break in and steal the family silver tonight. That is not lying to have an automatic timer on your light, but it is deceit, and the goal, perhaps, can even be to lead someone's mind down the wrong path. To say that their fear of God caused the midwives to lie is radically incoherent. The fear of God will not motivate you to do something evil. That's not what the fear of God is. But the fear of God did motivate them to speak shrewdly. The difference between deception and lying is the difference between right and wrong. Deception is planting evidence that lets people form their own conclusions. Lying is saying something. It's an assertion a verbal assertion or a written assertion contrary to what you believe to be the case. The lie, the split there, is within your personality. In my mind, I believe that I'm in Gillette. But if I say to you, we're actually in Yuma, Arizona tonight, then I am lying. I'm making an assertion that I believe to be incorrect. Now, the Hebrew midwives are not doing that. Maybe they had arranged circumstances cleverly so they were late. Maybe the providence of God had arranged circumstances cleverly so they were late. Maybe, well, other explanations. The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. Maybe these are new midwives and they genuinely believe this to be the case. There are many viable explanations out here. The point is not to legitimize lying. Contrary to many of those who over the years, including some of my fellow seminary students who are now pastors, contrary to what many of them think this passage teaches. But it does teach that we need to be shrewd. If you're going to be fearing God at a time when that's against the law, you have to be ready to explain that in terms that the aggressor can understand. And that means shrewd terms. Being a Christian does not require you to be a blockhead. It does require you not to lie. But you should say as little as possible, redirect, Ask questions. A question can't be a lie because a lie is an assertion. And a question is not an assertion. A question is, well, 
a question, an interrogation. You modify your daily routine, get to appointments late. In such a way that when the servants of the state ask, are you hiding any Jewish boys, you say, what kind of swine lover would do that? You're not saying yes, you're not saying no, you're starting a conversation with them about how horrible the Jews are. Midwives were shrewd. Jesus told us in so many words to be shrewd. The book of Proverbs tells us that it teaches cunning to the simple. We Christians have not been very cunning. If I ask you what words you associate with a broad evangelical megachurch, you're probably not going to list cunning anywhere on that list. Likely, if I ask you what words you associate with this church, you're not going to put cunning anywhere on that list. And that means that we're not ready to live during genocide. We're not there yet. We are not where Bonnie and Sparkle were. But the midwives answered shrewdly. They feared God. And God dealt well with the midwives. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives. Why? Because they feared him and they were shrewd about it. They didn't deliberately antagonize Pharaoh. Nor did they just roll over and say something lame like, I don't know why, Pharaoh. I, I was going to do it and then, well, I lost my nerve. They instead gave Pharaoh an answer that is very plausible. And as I told you last week, some of the more sour-minded commentators, one of them said, this answer was so clever that Pharaoh fooled not just Pharaoh, but generations of commentators. That's the kind of shrewdness that we need. So God rewarded the midwives and he rewarded them right at the point of their obedience. They saved babies and he gave them babies. He built them houses, the text says. Presumably meaning not a physical building, but a household. God gave them a household. Do you believe that? That the reward comes at the point of obedience. God loves the fitting and the congruent and the beautiful. And he does often give us poetic justice. Do you believe that if you speak the truth... God will give you the truth. That if you honor your authorities, those under your charge will honor you. That if you're generous, you will have enough. God honors at the point of obedience. In other words, right, in the generosity category, it's precisely when you say, I can't afford that tithe. That you can look to be honored by God for giving that tithe. It's precisely when you say, I can't afford to lose this job. Therefore, I'm still going to tell the boss, no, I won't lie for you. No, I won't work on Sunday for you. No, I won't uh, drive you to where you can have an affair with your girlfriend. No, 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 I won't do that. And when you can't afford to lose the job, that's the point of obedience, and that's where God honors you. 
It may not happen until the next life. But it will happen. That helps us fear God. To remember that he rewards those who fear him. But at the same time, as we see, know that your efforts may feel pointless. Bonnie and Sparkle may have saved a couple of babies, and then Pharaoh saw that the midwife policy was a dead end. So he commanded all his people, all the sons in the river, all the daughters live. So what do Bonnie and Sparkle say at that point? Well, if they're like us, if they're driven by pragmatism, by calculations about what the consequences will be, they say, oh, our approach totally backfired. Before, we were the ones, we ran the genocide effort, and therefore, we were really well placed to make a difference. Now Pharaoh has just done the end run around us, end run around us, and we don't have any power anymore. We have no influence. Our position... The Lord can give you a privileged position where you can do a great deal of good. Then he can take that away and hand it to somebody else where in 20 minutes all the good that you spent years building can be undone. And Bonnie and Sparkle presumably learned that lesson. Are you ready for that? Are you aware that fearing God may be the biggest waste of time you can engage in under the sun? I feared God. I made so many sacrifices. I gave up this. I gave up that. I lost the respect of my family. I... And look what it got me. Zilch. That is a tough, tough place to be. And that, of course, is where the Lord Jesus was. I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength on nothing and vanity. Isaiah 49, if you've ever felt the futility of your efforts, if you've ever felt that no good deed goes unpunished, and what you did just made your life ten times worse and made nothing else any better, don't be surprised. God has not promised to preserve any particular created good. The grass withers, the flowers fade. Surely... The human race is as grass. People are grass. All flesh is as grass. Yes, well, okay, I shouldn't say God hasn't promised to preserve any particular created good, but he has promised in general, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, summer and winter, day and night, will not cease. Not particular goods, but in general, the movement of the seasons will continue. Day and night will continue to succeed each other while the earth remains. In other words, even the earth has an expiration date stamped on it somewhere. People thought they had found it when they uncovered the Mayan calendar. That was not the earth's expiration date, but the earth does have one. God hasn't promised to preserve any particular created good, even one that cost you everything. I gave my whole life to building up that church and it split and now 85% of the congregation are atheists. Therefore, I'll go be an atheist too. An understandable reaction, but the wrong reaction. 
Bonnie and Sparkle shouldn't come to Pharaoh after verse 22 and say, okay, you win. We'll help throw babies in the river. We're in it to win it. That's true. But we're not in it to win it on Pharaoh's terms. According to their place and calling for a few, be- a few weeks there, Bonnie and Sparkle were the genocide team. And therefore they had the ability to unilaterally stop it. And then Pharaoh changed it up and they were no longer the genocide team and they no longer had the ability to unilaterally stop it. And if they had seen it in terms of Pharaoh's terms, I've got to fight this thing on Pharaoh's turf, they would have given up. God calls us to fight according to our place and calling. And thus, the rest of the book is about Moses being given the calling to lead Israel out. That was not Bonnie and Sparkle's calling. That was Moses' calling. On Pharaoh's terms, Pharaoh was ahead right up until the end when that wave of the Red Sea washed over him, as I said this morning. We know that our efforts may feel pointless. We can give our whole life to something, even in secular terms, Kipling's if. The things you gave your life to, broken. Stupid. Build them up again with worn out tools. Jesus feared God anyway even though he died for his efforts. But because he died, he triumphed and he rose again. We will triumph too. It may not be until the resurrection of the just, but it will happen. Wait for it. In the meantime, fear God and be shrewd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Bonnie and Sparkle and their testimony that has been left to us down the ages, that they are named as they confront the nameless Pharaoh. Father, help us to be shrewd and cunning. Forgive us for our callow simplicity. Help us to understand that the wise son is cunning and shrewd in his approach to life. Help us to be that, to live that way, not for selfish ends, but in order to honor you, in order to fear you and keep your commandments. Father, we ask that you would help us not to be dedicated to survival. We would not regard the loss of physical life or respectability or our nation or our friends or our family as the ultimate evil, but that we would regard betraying you as the ultimate evil. Help us to fear you and keep your commandments and to do it shrewdly. Thank you that your son survived genocide. We pray that you would help us to be righteous and stand against not only genocide, but any evil that's officially mandated and imposed or that's unofficially suggested by our hearts by our flesh, by the devil, by the world. Teach us to fear you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.